If you're still in the search for the perfect bino or optics for your rifle before season, you need to go check out Vortex Optics. They have a full lineup, whether you are an entry hunter or very experienced or looking for long-range shooting or some western hunts, go check out the products. They are backed by a lifetime warranty. It's unheard of. you got to go check them out. Um, or you can go to eurooptic.com. We've got a special offering through them on Vortex products. Enter the code LAND10, all caps, LAND10, to get 10% off your Vortex order at eurooptic.com. That's E-U-R-O-O-P-T-I-C.com. Guys, you won't be disappointed in the product. Go check them out. Welcome to another episode of the Sawdust and Fire podcast. We are your host. I am Hunter Johnson. And I'm Thomas Baldridge. Hey, Tom, how's things going today? Man, pretty good. What about you? Oh, not bad. Pretty, pretty good shape. Got a decent little rain last night. Uh, we were starting to dry out. I was going to have to do a little bit of irrigating on some millet and some corn uh, if we didn't get some rain pretty soon. But we got another half inch last night. And I uh, think it put me in pretty good shape, actually. We can't complain about that. Man, ain't that the truth. It's been a crazy, crazy year. Um, we got some good-looking duck food out there, though. So it's uh, I'm going to tell you, man, it's been such a tough year. If uh, if you've got good-looking duck food in the Delta of Arkansas this year, you've done something. You earned it. So yeah. it's, been, uh, it's been tough. But I think after the planting and replanting and spraying army worms and everything we've done, I think we've we're getting in uh, pretty good shape here. Uh, I think we're going to be all right. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, that that's a wonderful thing. You can't, after extreme drought conditions and go from flood, you know, flooded to extreme drought to maybe even back to flooded or close to it. It's been a it's been a lot of ups and downs. And then about the time you think you're on top of it, then the army worms show up. <laughs> Yeah, army worms and drought, and it's just golly. We uh, no, nobody around me even got soybeans planted here till dang late June, early July. Um, There's still some planting soybeans in August. So yeah, it's been a it's it's been a challenge this year for sure. There there were a lot of late soybeans planted. Yep, yep, and that's kind of bad for some folks. It's kind of bad for us at, at this piece of property i live on we uh we usually don't see a lot of our good mature bucks until crops start getting cut you know we got so much ag land around us so many uh soybean fields and rice fields and and corn fields that them jokers uh they got everything they need irrigation water and and boy they're laid up until uh some harvest starts and then um if you hadn't managed your timber a little bit now they then they're struggling until uh, crops get planted again. So, yep, it's uh, it's tough on them dudes too. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, um, you know this is a I, I got a I got a question for you. Of course, you know uh, uh, this is the reason that I hate Facebook. One of the reasons <laughs> um, you wind up with so many different comments and opinions 
that are so far off base that, you know, man, I hate to use the term misinformation. It's not even misinformation, really. It's just 100% just insane craziness that people are spreading for whatever reason. And, you know, eventually it's going to cost somebody. One of those things may cost them legally. I don't know. But one of those topics is about sprayer calibration. And you and I have talked about this a lot. It's something that you're really, you're really handy at, really good at. You've helped a lot of different people at. And, uh, you know, the other day I I shared a post, I think I tagged you in a post where a guy was uh, wanting to spray his clover and, and just kill the grass. And somebody recommended a chemical and uh, maybe recommended so much uh, ounces per gallon, which doesn't work in a, in a broadcast sprayer. And he sprayed his clover and nuked everything. I think he used 24D, which is crazy. And, and then turned around and, and now because of the chemical he used, you know, he's not even going to be able to, uh, to plant anything for a while. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff out there when you start talking about chemicals and sprayers. So you and I had talked about this and we decided that we might break this uh, podcast up into two parts. I think it's easier to discuss and we can stay on point better. And then also the listeners, you know, can, can listen to each one that they, you know, are dealing with. And it's that time of year here where a lot of guys are starting to spray fields. You know, there a lot of guys are using glyphosate for just a general burn down so they can come in and plant uh, fall food plots. So first let's, uh, in this podcast, let's talk about sprayers, the different types, calibration, you know, why do we calibrate? Why do we care? And then um, in maybe, uh, you know, and, and some other good topics in that, but then in, a, in another podcast, uh, let's come back and follow that up with, you know, what we're putting in our sprayer, what chemicals, herbicides, insecticides, what, however you want to label them, what are we using? Great topics, great topics. And yes, I'm, you know, I think one of the reasons that I keep looking at Facebook and looking at these, these uh, uh, herbicide posts and is I'm waiting for the first one to openly admit that he's in the middle of a lawsuit and on the verge of losing his entire farm over stupidity and, and not taking the time to spray correctly. Well, you know, when you say that, people's eyebrows automatically go up and they're like, oh, you're crazy, man. That, that, that can't happen. But it, it has already happened. Oh, a lot, a bunch. It's happened a bunch. Yep. Yeah. yeah yep. And, and people just don't realize it. And, you know, eventually the guy spraying it is going to be in, in trouble. The guy who sold it to him without a license is going to be in trouble. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And, uh, and at some point, you know, it's going to be a big mess, but, you know, hopefully we, we might prevent that happening in a case or two, but, but, um, and I'm not saying that this is more important, but for the guys out there that just think that, that that's some crazy world we're living in and it's not going to happen. Well, first off, you're crazy because this is a very litigious society we live in and there's way too many attorneys out there. I can tell you that. And they're all wanting to sue somebody, but what about the guy that just cares about his food plot and now he's burned his food plot up 
and and what he sprayed, he's not going to be able to replant anything for 45 days. He's missed a big window, 30 days, whatever. He's missed a big window. And now he's just basically messed his food plot up for the year. Yep. You know, that, that's got to matter to, that has to matter to some of these guys. Well, yeah, and it all comes back because of uh, some idiot that he listened to probably on social media. Yeah. Is what cost him, cost him his food plot for the entire fall. That, yeah, and you know, at some point, you know, those Facebook groups, uh, the administrators, moderators of those groups, they're going to get named in, in one of these lawsuits. Uh, where, where was it in uh, – Southeast Missouri or Northeast Arkansas, you know, the farmers got in a fight and one of them shot the other one. And then you, you actually know a family that got their orchard, you know, inadvertently nuked. And, uh, I think it's the case and they, they, they want a big settlement. Yes. So, you know, in, in, I think it was in Northeast Arkansas, maybe up around the Manila area. There was two farmers got into it over uh, one of them spraying dicamba and damaging the other one's crop, and it escalated to the point that they killed each other. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. And then um, I'm looking here because I don't want to. Uh, okay, and then the family that I know um, that had their their peach trees damaged by someone spraying dicamba. They were awarded $265 million. <laughs> Good Lord. Over someone spraying dicamba. Man. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about this too, where you've often used, used the example, you know, a lot of guys where I'm at, uh, you know, they, they, they get 24D and they've been spraying 24D for years. They spray it in their yard. And uh, they just think that that's a, that's a safe chemical and, and they're going to spray it wherever or whatever, when in fact it shouldn't have been sold to them without a license. But if you take a jug of that 2,4-D, crack the lid in the middle of a, a life state, like you say, a 40-acre cotton field, you, you know, on a hot Arkansas day, you can kill the whole field. You can. You can. It's, it's that open. It's that uh, volatile. Uh, it vaporizes so easy. And, you know, we sprayed uh, – when I worked for Arkansas Game and Fish, we had the state plant board show up at uh, one of our uh, uh, shops, uh, wildlife management shops, over um, over here by Black Swamp on Cash River here in Arkansas. A farmer had uh, 2,4-D damage on his cotton, and they had saw us back there uh, with four wheelers, ATV sprayers, and um, they came after us because the farmers had saw it. And then a few weeks or months later, uh, the Cotton Scout found some damage and determined it to be 2,4-D damage. And they contacted the state plant board and they come in and investigated it. And it did have 2,4-D damage, but luckily we hadn't sprayed anything that day we had just swung by on our way back from somewhere else to, to pick up the limbs and trash out of the boat ramp, uh, the Black Swamp uh, uh, float road boat ramp. So luckily we hadn't sprayed anything back there and they, they couldn't pin anything on us, but they did end up using some, some uh, 
uh, weathered data and determine where it had came from. And it was another farmer that had sprayed 2,4-D uh, on a crop and had uh, and had damaged this farmer's crop. And I didn't hear what, what happened over it. But, uh, but I do know about another case in Georgia where an older fella, older gentleman that owns a cattle farm was trying to kill the broadleafs in his pasture and he sprayed 2,4-D on his uh, cattle pasture and killed 20 or 30 acres of the neighbor's cotton um, across the road. And uh, he's liable for that. He, he has to pay, you know, you do the math on that two bell, three bell cotton per acre and you wiped out 20 or 30 acres of cotton. Um, it's something that uh, most folks can't recover from. Most folks can't afford to pay. Yeah, that's right. Well, so let's just, uh, you know, and, and I, I used the example with you the other day about that, that girl that, you know, is now going to prison for texting her boyfriend or her friend or whatever that committed suicide. You know, they found her liable in some form or fashion for part, you know, some way, whether that was manslaughter, or I don't remember what the charge was, you know, for his death. And that's just the world we live in now. And if you ever go to get your, you know, an applicator's license where you can purchase this chemical legally, you know, they're going to teach you how to use it, teach you how to document it, teach you PPE, teach you calibration, teach you all of these things in those classes. And people don't, just don't want to bother. And, and, and somewhere along the line, I think because of the actual, you know, roundup in your 16 ounce, 14 ounce bottle at, at Lowe's that you're putting in a pump up sprayer, you know, people got the idea, well, three to four ounces a gallon will work. Well, the trouble is you, you don't know how much your sprayer is putting out. And, um, you know, that they can be the exact same sprayer and have a very big difference. Exact same sprayer, exact same pump and be putting out a lot of difference. And, you know, some people just, oh, well, I'm just putting out glyphosate. Um, and I, I've seen all kinds of different arguments as to why they justify their, their method. You know, one guy was putting, well, if it's two quarts an acre, I've got a half acre food plot. I put a quart in my ATV sprayer and filled it up with water. And I just drove around that half acre until it was empty. Well, he may have spent 30 minutes or longer spraying when he could have calibrated his sprayer in five or 10 minutes and sprayed that field, and, you know, and been done. Been done, been efficient. And you know, that's the worst part about it is there is people claiming to be professionals that are out here telling people to do this nonsense. It's, it blows my mind. Well, and it just, you know, think about some of the stuff you see on Facebook. I, I saw recently, and I, I'll move off of this after I say this, but I saw recently, you know, a quote-unquote professional that was preparing his food plots, and he was hanging a drip torch outside of his truck, caught his truck on fire. Yep. And, you know, uh, the, these things – are just they're preventable and um there's a way to not you know not run the risk of taking that kind of a loss and and we just we just need to do better you yes. know we we need to do better we have a responsibility by law and we just need to do better and we need to get away from this oh i'm just spraying some roundup 
I'm just spraying some glyphosate. You know, it's, it's no big deal. Well, you know, there's also uh, resistance. I mean, built up in, in a lot of these weeds that, man, we got to use a different chemical for now. We got all these other problems with, I mean, it, there, there's just a lot that goes into this. So let's jump off into some different sprayer types and, um, and then of course, different booms. And then uh, let's, let's calibrate a sprayer and tell them the method that, you know, you, you taught me that, is is in my opinion it's the easiest easiest thing to do and once you do this you don't have to do it every time you spray you know if you if you're running the if you do like me you put your sprayer in there and you calibrate it and i haven't changed the pump and i haven't changed my pressure i mean i'm i'm using the same the same calibration rate from three years ago right right yeah, there's very, very little changes. Your pump can get a little weak over time, but usually you can see that and tell it. Um, you know, so so if we go to the, and we look at the actual types of sprayers, you know, you've got a handheld sprayer that is usually uh, uh, one or two gallons. Um, you know, it's just, if you pump up, you set it on the ground, you pump straight up and down the top of it. You've got a little short hose and a little wand. Um, and that's what I call just a handheld spot sprayer. Then you've got a backpack sprayer, which most people use as a, as a spot sprayer. So when I say spot sprayer, that means you have stopped and you're spraying each individual plant um, and wetting them down to the point that you, you know you're going to have a kill and with, with those types, and, and you can use the same thing. It doesn't matter how big your sprayer is, but you know, we've got some 25-gallon, uh, 65-gallon, uh, 130-gallon sprayers uh, for tractors, for UTVs, for ATVs, that we still have a spot sprayer hand wand attachment on. And, and all of that works the same. If you want to um, do an ounces per gallon, and you want to, or you want to do a, uh, a percent solution per volume, then that is the only time that works is in a spot sprayer, hand one type application. Now, if you're going to use a broadcast type sprayer, whether it's boom or boomless, then you have, that's when you have to start calibrating. Or if you're using a backpack sprayer, and you're walking and you're using the side to side holding the button on the wand sweep method where you're spraying side by side you need to learn how to calibrate a little bit or you're not gonna be effective so anytime you're moving and spraying um you need to be calibrated um and our most common sprayers out there seems to be what most people have is a uh, 25 to 40 to 60 gallon sprayer that has an electric pump. And it's either on the back of a four wheeler or in a side by side and has a boomless nozzle or a short boom of some type on it. Um, and of course, you know, some people even have a big fold up boom. I just built one for one of my rigs. And then you jump up from that into a PTO type uh, sprayer that runs off the back of a tractor and they can be boomless or short boom, 
with with a few nozzles or a big fold up boom either one so so that's basically the different types of sprayers that are out there and most commonly used in food plot spraying situations yep yeah and um you know one thing you've done and and we we can get into this here in a little bit is you you like to utilize different nozzles or different booms sometimes a boomless sometimes you know just one that that may only spray a fan pattern to the side for so many feet so you can spray you know ditch banks or fence rows um you've got some uh big booms with multiple nozzles that you you cover you know large track of ground with and um and then of course you, you know the the go-to boomless that is you know what like you said probably what most people use so let's say that i went to my local farm supply or walmart or wherever and i purchased a 25 gallon atv sprayer i'm gonna put it on the back of my my four-wheeler and um uh let's just address the difference in a short boom that's maybe three foot four foot wide uh and and a boomless nozzle and then let's calibrate one Okay, so, you know, the most versatile, you know, I would never dream of buying any sprayer that I couldn't swap out different attachments on the end of. And I, I know you've got a lot of the same thing, but I've got uh, two or three 25-gallon sprayers. I've got two different 65-gallon sprayers. I've got a 130-gallon sprayer. Um and I've got an array of attachments. Like you say, I've got some side boom nozzles. I've got uh, several different boomless nozzles. I've got some short booms that I spray fire lines with, that roads, trails with. I've got some big fold up booms. Um, I've got a, a 24 foot boom. Well, it's actually a 20 foot boom that sprays up to 26 foot. And then I've got a big uh, 30, three or 38 foot fold out boom. Um, and I've also got hand wands and boomless nozzles and, and everything for all of these. I've also got a boat attachment that goes on the front of my boat that I can spray underwater vegetation with any of these sprayers that I want to. So, um, so there's a lot of different things, but the main thing is, and, and I know you've got this on yours, um, is I like to, where I have a discharge on my pump, I like to put a water hose end on it and I will put um, um, sometimes a, a, a shut off Y or a shut off T with water hose ends so that all I have to do is any attachment that I want to attach, I can put a female water hose end on it and screw it right on to my male water hose fittings on my sprayer and I can shut off or on whatever I want to. And sometimes I may go to, to some of the, the farms that are a good ways off and I may have two or three different booms with me and may have two or three of them on and attached all at the same time. So I can go from spraying a fence row or a ditch off the side to a, a uh, broadcast application, like a uh, boomless application, like a food plot in the woods to being able to swing out my booms and, and spray a field. And then, and then hit a trail and precisionly spray a fire line or a road or something. Um, but um, they're all calibrated the same way. So, 
uh, now we'll get into to, uh, to calibrating one. And I'll give the formula first, and then we'll explain it a little bit. So the easiest way, and this is not something that I've come up with. This is a uh, this was in a publication that was put out by the uh, University of Arkansas Extension Service back several years ago when I first took my uh, pesticide applicators uh, test. And the formula is the total gallons per minute of your output times 5940. And that number divided by your spray width in inches times the miles per hour you wish to travel. That's it. That's the formula. It's that simple. There's no need to set up cones. You don't have to have, you don't have to time yourself. You don't have to measure distance. You don't have to run around in circles until so many gallons are gone. I mean, that's it. You can do it right there in your shop yard um, with a tape measure and a uh, measuring pitcher and uh in literally, literally five minutes, you can be done, and you know for, for sure. Now, one of the handiest uh, parts uh, doing this for me, and, and I know you do the same thing, but um, you can take a jug, like let's just say a milk jug, most people are comfortable with that, and on the opposite side of the jug from the handle, so opposite of the handle, cut you a hole on that side up high, big enough to go over the nozzle. Yep, on a boomless nozzle, yes. Right, and turn your pump on and get ready with your stopwatch. You can run it for 30 seconds and times it by two or run it for a minute and catch, catch a whole you know thing for a minute. Turn that pump on, go back there, and when you shove that jug over that nozzle, you're going to collect for one minute. Yep. Take it off, turn it off, shut it off, whatever pull it out and measure how much you collected. And that's just plain water we're running at this point, just, just to see. And the other thing you can do is while it's running, see what kind of wet spot you're making there on the gravel or on the pavement or whatever you can actually see and measure that. And on a boomless nozzle, if I measure it, and let's say it's uh, 14 feet, and I know that my vegetation out there is, you know, knee to waist high, I know that I'm not getting an actual 14 foot path. I'm, I may be only getting about a 12. So That's you, know, right. you can adjust, adjust that, use some common sense there and think, okay, this is about what's actually going to be hitting the ground when I'm going through that vegetation. Right. And then the other thing you need to know is, you know, how fast am I going to drive? Is this rough ground that I'm going over? Do I need to be going four mile an hour? Is this smooth ground that I can run seven miles an hour in? So pick your speed, and if you're like me, which, you know, we've got a couple side-to-sides, the newer one's got a speedometer. The old one that I spray out of does not, but I just, I've got a little handheld GPS, and I put the miles per hour on that, on that dude, and I set it on the dash, and that's, that's what I roll with. Right. So once you get those things done, I mean, you're, you're, you're ready to plug this into this formula and know exactly how many gallons per acre your sprayer's putting out. That's the important thing, gallons per acre. Right, and some people, I don't understand why people have so much trouble with that, and they think that that gallons, 
that ounces per gallon is going to get them there. So, so if you've got, if you've got a gallon jug that you're spraying out of and you're down in Venezuela riding the back of a billy goat at a half a mile an hour and spraying versus getting in an airplane at 90 mile an hour and spraying and you're putting so many ounces in a gallon, you're not getting the same coverage of herbicide across the plants when you're going different speeds. And I know the difference between a billy goat and an airplane is, is drastic, but the difference in going five mile an hour versus seven mile an hour is pretty drastic too. So we need to know about what we're going to travel. And, you know, this is where you might give it a test run. You might run out there and just kind of drive comfortably and see about how fast you're going. And then, you know, you get this argument, people say, well, I don't have a speedometer on my machine I ride. Well, that ain't no problem because you probably got a smartphone in your pocket and you can download a free app called Speedometer and you can get in a certain gear, whether it's low range or high range on an automatic or second gear or third gear on a foot shift. And you kind of listen to the RPMs and you know the sound it ought to be making and you know about how it feels and you can kind of watch that. And, and I've got a couple of different machines. I don't have speedometers on, but you kind of learn, well, the tractor in, in uh, first gear high at about 1500 RPMs runs me about four mile an hour and that's comfortable for me. That's what I'm going to use. Or this old Polaris side-by-side I've got in low range, when it's sounding like this and it feels kind of like this, that's about six mile an hour and that's what I'm going to use. Well, then you just keep that phone in your pocket and every once in a while, you know, if you're going to spray for an hour, three or four times in that hour, pull it out and look at it and, you know, adjust your speed accordingly if you need to speed up a mile an hour or slow down a mile an hour. But, you know, it's uh, that will keep you pretty close even if you don't have a speedometer on the rig you're spraying with. Right. There, there's ways to to work around not having a speedometer for sure and That's still right. be accurate and far more accurate than throwing three or four ounces a gallon in your sprayer and thinking that that ought to work. And here, here's another thing, another good reason other than, you know, possibly damaging somebody else's crop and, and the different chemicals we'll talk about in this part two, you know, that, that can just get up and leave your field and go sit down on somebody else's that that's always mind blowing, but, uh, or, you know, building resistance, chemical resistance in certain weeds, but, you know, especially now after the past year or two we've been in everything that you look at is an availability and a cost issue yes can i get it and how much is it going to cost and um chemicals man glyphosate in general has gotten to be so expensive now so for the sake of money and time like you said being more efficient we we should calibrate our sprayer so we know what we're, how much chemical we're putting out and what we're actually doing here. That's right. That's right. And people don't realize that when you read, you know, the label is the law. 
And I've had people say, well, you mean the herbicide police is supposed to come knock on my door? Um, yeah, they could. It's called the state plant board uh, and not the herbicide police. But yeah, they could. Uh, I've had them knock on mine and I've uh, sent them to knock on other people's over the years. Um, uh, that's their job. That's what they do. Now, no one cares what you mix and what you spray until there's a problem. But when there's a problem, if you've done something that's off label, you can bet your butt you're the one responsible for it. So a lot of people don't realize that even with just glyphosate, and I know we're going to get into this on our, on our, a future podcast or next part two or whatever, but you know, you have to know somewhat what it is you're spraying, uh, what, what plant composition and height you have out there because you don't use the same rate for one inch tall barnyard grass to control it as you do for six foot tall Johnson grass or uh, 10 inch tall Bermuda grass. Um, you know, one inch tall barnyard grass map, you know, the label might say, and you might be able to kill it with, uh, was 16 ounces per acre, but the recommended rate for 10 or 12 inch tall thick Bermuda grass is five and a half quarts per acre. And a lot of people say, well, glyphosate won't kill pigweeds anymore. And there's a lot of things that are resistant to them. And some of those we've got to the point that they won't, it won't kill them at all. But I've done a recent experiment with some with some Bermuda grass and with some pigweeds both, and um, you can kill those at five and a half quarts per acre. But who the crap wants to spray five and a half quarts per acre? Um, a lot of people go out here, and the recommended rate that's supposed to kill it may be thirty-two or forty ounces per acre. And if you get a weak dose on something and it kind of turns it brown, but then that plant recovers and comes back from it, you've pretty much made that plant resistant to that herbicide. Now you're gonna have to buy something else and start spraying it um, because you can't kill what's on your farm anymore. Well, and then if you just think you're gonna come back and nuke it again, you, you gotta bump that rate up, you gotta change herbicides. And usually when you have to go to a second herbicide, you just went from oh forty dollars a gallon to possibly two hundred. Right. I mean, right. It, it can get expensive. That's that's right. And you know, we were buying glyphosate. Um, I don't know. We were spending what it was twenty six dollars a gallon yeah. or seventeen dollars a gallon yeah. is what right. we were paying a couple years ago. And yeah. And then it went up to like 26 and then it went up to like 50 and now it's 50 or $60 a gallon. So a two and a half gallon jug is costing you 150 bucks now. Um, and we were buying that for dang $60 a jug um, a couple years ago. Yeah, it, it went from about $15, give or take a dollar a gallon to $56 a gallon. Yeah, and that, you know, you blame that on whatever you want to blame it on. You get mad at whoever you want to get at, but I still got stuff I got to kill and things I got to spray. And I mean, I got to buy the chemicals. 
That's right. And, and when you're going up, you know, I just got through spraying some fire lines and I built a new boom just to spray fire lines with because um, I wanted my fire lines are 15 foot wide and, and I wanted to make sure that I could spray uh, about 12 foot of that 15 foot fire line and, and kill everything in that 12 foot good and dead. So I built a special boom for that because with a broadcast boom, I don't want to be spraying 25 foot wide on a 15 foot fire line. I'm not worried about what it's killing off in the edge of the woods, but I don't want to waste that money. So when you've got 20 miles of fire lines to spray at, at 15 foot wide, now you're looking at like 50 acres worth of dang fire lines. And when you're buying a herbicide, um, that you don't have to spray every month, something you can spray once a year, like a, a massapir or something, and it's $170 a gallon. I just finished spraying my fire lines on one farm and I spent $1,700 in a half a day spraying fire lines. And, yeah. and it's something that had to be done. It's something that's necessary. But if I hadn't calibrated my sprayer and knew exactly what I was putting out, the width I was putting out, the speed I needed to drive, I could have not got done and had to buy more herbicide to finish or not sprayed enough that I didn't kill my target and ended up having to spray the whole thing again. So yep. Yep. you've got to know what you're doing or you're going to have problems. Yep. All right, let's walk through. Let's just make one of these up so people can – can at least walk through this with us. I, I got a brand new sprayer, strapped it on the back of my ATV. It's got a hand one that, that is not a part of this equation. And it's got a boomless nozzle on the back. And I turned it on, I put some water in it, turned it on. It's spraying a 12 foot wide path. And I got my milk jug, I cut a hole in the opposite end of the handle towards the top. I got my stopwatch on my cell phone. I got this thing running. I shoved the jug over the nozzle and collected the water coming out of that nozzle for one minute. And I turned it off. Now let's walk through those things real quick. So, okay. So let's say, let's, let's make up a number. Let's say we caught, um, uh, let's say we caught, um, 116 ounces. Okay. And I'll tell you another thing I did. Um, I think I got it from Tractor Supply, but I bought a measuring cup that also is specifically for chemical. And it has the raised letters on the outside of it because a lot of this chemical, you know, it's corrosive. And if you just got you an old measuring cup with the red or the black, and you sure don't want to take your wife's measuring cup, measure the chemical and think you're going to run that back through the dishwasher and eat it, you know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get one for the sprayer. I mean, we'll spend five or $10, big deal. But that one with the raised letters on the outside, that way that, that writing doesn't just get washed away or, or corroded over time and you lose it. That's a handy thing to have. That's right. And you can get those about anywhere. I've actually seen some that's not bad at Dollar General store yep. that would work. And, you know, uh, forestry suppliers has them and a lot of uh, places that you buy herbicide from has them. Um, 
And sometimes if you got a decent herbicide order, they'll give you one uh, if you ask yeah. them. So, yeah, those are pretty easy. When I first started, I started using a glass uh, Pyrex uh, yeah. measuring cup, just like mama has in there on the kitchen counter uh, when yeah. she's making a cake. And uh, uh, that those red letters come off pretty quick and uh, didn't have no way of, of knowing how much I was putting in there. So you're right. The raised uh, numbers sure, sure make a big difference. But let's jump in to calibrating this sprayer. So right. we kicked it on. Our spray path, a wet spot on the ground is 12 foot wide. Yep. And we Pretty caught good. 116. Well, we caught we caught the milk jug, quite a bit in the milk jug. So now we poured it into the measuring cup that you're talking about. We've yep. measured it out and we've decided we've got 116 ounces is what we caught in a minute. All yep. right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the 116 ounces that we caught and we're going to divide it by 128 because there's 128 ounces in a gallon. So what we caught was 0.91 gallons per minute. Now, this may be a five or six or eight gallon pump, but what's coming out of that nozzle in a minute was 0.91 gallons per minute is what we caught. Okay, so we're going to take 0.91 times 59.40, and that is 50. 405. We're going to call that our first number. All right. Now then, the wet spot on the ground was 12 foot wide. So we're going to take 12 foot times 12 because there's 12 inches. We want to convert this to inches. We caught 144 or, or it's 144 inch wide spray pattern. Yep. All right. So we got out here and we got to looking. And this, you know, about this, we're rocky and we're hilly and it's uneven ground. So about three mile an hour is about as fast as we think we can travel uh, without getting thrown out of the seat or hitting our head on the top of the cab or breaking an arm or leg or hitting our face on the steering wheel or whatever it might be. So we're going to, we think we're going to travel at three mile an hour. So we're going to take 144 inch spray pattern times three mile an hour equals 432. All right, so that's our second number. So we're gonna take 5405, which is our first number, and divide it by 432 equals, that pump is putting out 12.5 gallons per acre. And we say, but wait a minute, I don't want to drive three mile an hour all the time. I got some other spraying I want to do today and I can spray at six mile an hour in it. Hey, not a big deal. First number is not going to change. The 5405, that's not going to change. But what we are going to change is our second number. We're going to take the 144 inch spray pattern times six mile an hour equals, that's 864. So we're going to take our 5405, our first number, divided by 864 equals, all right, that is 6.3 gallons per acre. Same sprayer, same tip, same everything, 
we just switched from three mile an hour to six mile an hour. One of them's putting out 12.5 gallons per acre at three mile an hour, and it's putting out 6.3 gallons per acre at six mile an hour. And you know, a lot of people think, uh, and they do this, once you calibrate that, they'll just take a Sharpie and write it on that pump or on the uh, actual tank itself. Um, I, I like, I like getting you a little notepad because it, it's a lot easier to keep up, you know, in a little notepad book. And if you ever go get your applicator's license, which I wish everybody would, um, you know, record keeping is a, is a good idea. And you can say, well, Hey, on, you know, September the, the 12th, I sprayed, you know, all my fields with, with glyphosate at two quarts an acre or what, whatever the case may be. Right. I've got, so in the notes, I've got an iPhone. In the notes on my iPhone, I have sprayer calibration. And I've also got one that is a, um, a seed broadcaster application. And it's stuff that I've calibrated and I can go to this. And, uh, well, this one here says sprayer outputs, but, uh, this one here is a 65-gallon UTV sprayer with 5.5-gallon-per-minute pump with the fold-up booms. It puts out 7.7 .7 gallons per acre at 7 miles per hour and 10.8 gallons per acre at 5 mile an hour. I've also, and, and I've got that for every sprayer. I've, I started writing stuff on the wall in there where I keep my herbicides, and uh, it was just, there were so many times that I was switching while I'm out there with the same tank mix, I'm switching to different booms and different things. So I want to be able to just vary my ground speed or whatever I'm doing to put out what I need to put out um, by switching booms and not have to go back to the shop and look at what I had written on the wall. And, you know, a, a good way to put it, I mentioned that while ago, you know, we all have broadcast seeders that we go on our four-wheeler or side-by-side -side or whatever that we can broadcast seed out of when we're planting. Well, yeah. everybody's calibrating that, right? If, if you want to put out eight pounds of seed per acre, are we just dumping some seed in there and just taking off and slinging it? No, nobody's doing that. So um, this is the same thing. We want to know what we're putting out. And I've done the same deal. I've got one I just read a minute ago that with this new cedar I've got and a, a bushel bag of seed in there with a setting of nine and running eight miles an hour on 30 foot intervals, two passes of soybeans equals one bag per acre, 40 pounds, 50 pounds per acre. So, if I want to put out a bag per acre of soybeans, then I just run through there and look at what my, my setting should be. And I've had to do most of that from trial and error. Um, we don't have to do trial and error with herbicides and sprayers because this formula will tell us exactly what we're putting out and what to mix. Yep. Yep. Now, let's walk through, let's say a guy bought that same UTV sprayer, ATV sprayer, whatever, 25-gallon, and instead of a boomless nozzle, he's got a boom with four nozzles, and they spray, you know, like a two-foot pattern each or whatever. Um, uh, so what's he spraying, about eight-foot path? Two, four, two, yeah. 
yeah, roughly eight foot path. So let's say he's got four, four nozzles. How, same, would you, how would you calibrate that? The exact same thing, except you can either catch the water output out of each nozzle for one minute, but if all nozzles are the same, you just catch it out of one and multiply that number times four. So while ago, if we caught um, uh, 0.91 gallon per minute out of one nozzle, and we've got four of them that are just alike, we take that 0.91 times four, everything else stays the same. So what we're looking for is the total output out of every nozzle for one minute. All of that added together, total output for one minute. So I've got a, a sprayer out there that I have 33 nozzles on. They're 22 inches apart. I've got 33 of them on there. Um, I don't go through and catch out of every single one. I will take my measuring cup and the great thing with it, it's spraying straight down. So the great thing with it is I can hold that measuring picture you were talking about underneath it for 30 seconds and see how much I caught and then multiply that by two. So I can check this one for 30 seconds, skip a couple, check this one, skip a couple, check this, just to make sure that they're all putting out the same. And you know, it helps me know if I got a screen stopped up or dirt dauber's nest in one of my lines or anything that happens sitting over the, you know, off season. So, you know, I just kind of spot check it, but in the end, I'm going to take what I caught out of one and multiply it by how many nozzles I've got. Now, some of these newfangled rigs, and I know uh, some of these spray companies, I know Femco does it, and I think Ag Spray does it. They'll have a, a nozzle on each end that kind of sprays out the side a pretty good ways, and one in the middle that you're spraying like 20 or 30 inches wide straight down. So in that case, you want to add all three of those together. You want to actually catch because that center one is not putting out near what those on the ends are putting out. Right. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like the end ones are almost boomless. And, yes. and the center one is, is actually a fan spraying straight to the ground. Right. So with it, we want to catch out of all three of those nozzles for one minute each and add them together. And that is our uh, number. Our number. Measure it in, in ounces and then and then divide it by 128 to convert it to gallons. And we want to know total gallons per minute out of all three combined. Now, now here's another thing. Uh, you know, PPE and actually cleaning up after we're done with this. Um, you know, one of the best investments a guy can make uh, is a really good pair of sunglasses. Yep. Uh, when you're when you're dumping and and I, there's a lot of pe good PPE, you know, rubber boots, rubber gloves, all this kind of stuff. You know, don't drink this chemical, blah 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 blah. But when you are pouring chemical into that jug or into your your tank, I mean, you know, there's a lot of times you know it can splash. Uh, that liquid is a little, a lot of that. Those chemicals are a little thicker. You know, that their, their viscosity is different than than that of water. And so they have a, a tendency kind of to, to chug a lug through, through that jug, you know, and, and splatter if you're not careful. Oh, and yeah. a good pair of sunglasses can sure enough keep it out of your eyes. But 
you know, PPE is important with any chemical. It cannot be understated. Um, you know, and you also using some common sense, you know, uh, if you, if you know, wear, wear maybe a long sleeve shirt, um, you know, when I'm making a turn, if I've got a decent wind blowing that day, well, if it's too windy, I don't spray. But if I got a little bit of wind and I'm turning and I'm getting that drift and mist coming back across me, I hate that. I don't do, I, I don't do that. I don't like that stuff coming on me. So I, I try to turn a different direction where that ain't going to happen, or I drive through what I'm spraying, turn my sprayer off, make a loop, and come back again and turn my sprayer back on when I hit the area I'm spraying. So some of those things for, you know, personal protective equipment or not being stupid is important. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there's a lot of little things that help a bunch. So I've got a uh, – I like a mixing tape. So – out here in front of my shop, I've got a table that just sits outside and it sits right by the water hydrant and not too far from it, maybe 10 steps over in another building is where I keep my insecticides and my herbicides. And I can go in there, pick out the herbicides and the surfactants or crop oils or whatever that I want to use. I bring it over and I set them on my table. Now hanging on the side of the table is a mixing pitcher. There is a pair of rubber gloves there. There's a pair of just clear safety goggles laying there. And there is a clamp, just a little uh, 99 cent Harbor Freight um, spring clamp. It looks like a pair of goofy looking pliers. And so I don't want, you know. It's like a metal, a metal clothespin almost. Well, it's plastic, but yeah, okay. it's, it's like a big plastic clothespin. And yep. so what I do with that is I don't want, I'm using a frost-free hydrant. So if you got your hose down in your tank and you shut the hydrant off, it sucks some of it backwards uh, down into your uh, uh, hydrant. So I don't like the end of my hose. And of course I drink out of that hose sometimes too. So I don't want it down in my herbicide. Um, so sometimes you just got to have drink water, but um, I will, I will take the lead off of my tank and stick that hose down in there and then clamp it to the rim of the tank where the lead screws on with this plastic cheap clamp. And it keeps it pulled back to the side out of the way and keeps my, we all have had water hoses flip out of the top of your tank while you're trying to fill them up, but holds it secure, holds it out of the way. Now while water's running into it, I can go to my mixing table. I can get my pitcher. I can measure out how many ounces uh, per acre I need, how many ounces I'm going to put in my tank, whether I'm mixing a 25-gallon tank or a 40-gallon or a 65 or a 130 or whatever it might be. I can measure how much herbicide I want to put in that tank. I can dump it in there. As it fills up a little more, I can add my second herbicide or third herbicide or add insecticide to it for armyworms. I can add my surfactants, my crop oil, my anti-foaming agent, anything I need in there, I can add as it's filling up and that helps mix it as it's going. Plus I usually have the tank running and the agitator on and having it agitated while it's, while it's going. So all of that stays right there when I'm spraying. And then if I want to, all I have to do is just carry it right in the door of the shop and everything I need is on it. I need to spray next time. I just carry it right out the door and set it by the water hydrant and my mixing tables there when I need to mix. Um, 
an, another couple questions for you that I think people will have. Uh, one is about, you know, cleaning your tank. And of course you can buy, you know, commercial clean cleaners and things like that, that, that are for that. But, but uh, there's some things that you like and, and that I, you know, I, I use as well that are effective um, and safe. Uh, and then once you address that, I want you to talk about the sophisticated redneck. So let's say we got the guy out there who he gets it and he's like, I'm buying me a sprayer. I, you know, I know what I want. I've heard what you said about making sure that it either has or I can convert it to water hose fittings. It makes it easier to change things out and clean up. And then I, he, he's got a boomless nozzle, but he wants to get a, a, a boom. And instead of going and buying one, he wants to do like you do and make his own, the sophisticated redneck. So share about cleaning, cleaning procedures. And then if you want to make your own boom or a specialized nozzle that you want to buy, where are some of the places you look and where do you typically, uh, you know, find some of that? I probably even on Amazon nowadays, but, uh, you know, go walk me through some of that and then okay. you know, your construction of it. Okay. So with the cleaning, I don't use anything special. I use uh, ammonia. And I bought a dollar general store and half gallon or one gallon jugs. So when I'm spraying and, and there's a lot of times you don't have to clean out when you're switching from one thing to another. So if I've got a lot of spraying to do, so like a couple of days ago, I set out, I needed to spray some plethodum. I needed to spray some glyphosate and I needed to spray for army worms. So the smartest thing I could do there is spray the army worms first because then I don't have to clean out. It don't matter if I've got some, some residual insecticide left over, but then I want to spray my clethodum next because I don't want any glyphosate in there that's going to kill something off target and whatever I'm spraying glyphosate on eventually in the day doesn't matter if there's remnants of some armyworm insecticide and plethodum in the tank, but you sure wouldn't want to do that in reverse. I wouldn't want to spray my glyphosate area first, then not clean out my tank and mix it with plethodum because I'm going to kill some off-target stuff that I didn't want to kill with glyphosate in there. And then I go over to just spray armyworms. Well, I'm going to have residual from all kinds of herbicide, plethodum and glyphosate both in there when I spray armyworms, and I'm not trying to kill anything but worms in that case. So I try to set myself up each day that I'm spraying to minimize my cleanouts. But when I need to clean out from one to another, the method that I'll use is, so I've, I've put my, um, I've dumped my herbicide insecticide, I've dumped my pesticides in my mixing container that you were talking about a while ago, my, my that measure your ounces. So I've measured my ounces out and I've dumped that in there. I will then rinse that out with water a couple of times and dump it into my tank um, to make sure that uh, my mixing cups rinsed out good. When I get through spraying, I will drain my tank someplace safe, whatever's left in it. And usually it's just remnants left in the bottom. There's usually always, depending on the size of the tank, there's always a gallon to two, a half a gallon to two gallons that you can't get out. 
So find a safe place someplace, I dump that out best I can, shake the tank or whatever. Then I pull up here to the shop and I start rinsing my tank. And I'll rinse it real good, get all of that stuff rinsed out of there that I can. And then after about a triple rinse, then I will spray some clean water through all of my booms, hoses, nozzles, and let it run for a while, running clean water through it. Then on the fourth clean out, I will dump about a half a gallon of ammonia in a 65 gallon tank or maybe a pint of ammonia in a 25 gallon tank fill it about half full let it agitate good run some ammonia through and then i'll drain all that out and finish out with clean water and i've never had an issue that's that always works great for me um one thing that i will add though is you know winterizing in the winter um, I will clean out real good. And then the last thing I do is put RV antifreeze in there and I'll run some RV antifreeze through the pump and through all of my nozzles and everything before I put it up for the winter. And if it's a PTO pump, I like to take that pump off of the sprayer, um, wash it out real good. Then I will fill it up with hydraulic oil and hang it up someplace on the wall of the shop and let it sit all winter with hydraulic oil in it to eliminate it locking up or any corrosion buildup or keep it from freezing or anything like that. But I've got uh, RV antifreeze in all my lines. And, but that's how I rinse out um, when I really need to do a good rinse out. And a lot of times you don't need to do a good one. You can just drain what's in there, rinse the tank a little bit, put a couple gallons of water in there and run water through your nozzles. But if you're switching from you know, you've been spraying something that's deadly on, you know, been spraying something that's real aggressive on broad leaves, and now you can go spray your soybeans to kill grass in it. You better make sure that you've done a, a good triple or, or quadruple rinse with some ammonia. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't so, agree more. So what about uh, some of the booms that you've made, uh, why you like having different booms? And, uh, you know, where are you getting parts for that? And then another thing that people often overlook, and we are, uh, you know, we're a big proponent of, of prescribed fire, is using this thing with a hand wand, you know, Absolutely. during the prescribed fire. I mean, it, it, is, it is the greatest thing ever. Well, so what a lot of people don't know is we use these water hose fittings you can go buy a 25 foot or even a 50 foot water hose and screw it right onto the output of your tank. And the best hand one that you can get is a pistol grip um, water hose nozzle like you buy at the hardware store to wash your car with. Um, and you can screw that right on the end of a 25 foot water hose, screw it right onto your tank. You don't have to mess with those wands. I've got two or three of them in the toolbox of my truck. If one quits or starts leaking, or I've got hose mending kits. If we catch a hose on fire and or melt it or gets against the muffler and we melt it, we can mend the hose or cut the end off and put a new end on it. But man, that works great for our, our fire stuff. But um, you know, water hose ends are pretty universal. And um, you know, I've even had times that I had a pump getting weak and wouldn't prime. I've screwed the water hose onto the end and turned it on and run water backwards through it till it primes that pump up and then shut the pump off. 
unscrew the hose and turn everything back on and go spray herbicide because I couldn't get my dang pump prime. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, I was spraying up at one of the hill farms and we were pumping water out of a creek and I filled everything full of sand. Uh, my screens, my pumps, my strainers, um, the filter, everything was packed full of sand. So I just screw a water hose on the end and loosen the other end and run water backwards through the whole entire system and just wash that sand out of everything. And uh, sure made it a whole lot easier cleaning up. So that's why I love water hose fittings. And I can put the same fitting on every attachment and swap out real easy. So all of my booms I have built because no one makes a boom like what we as food plotters need for our habitat managers need for whatever we do. So I have made everything and you can take a piece of square tubing and you can go online and buy um, boom components that you need, uh, tips that you need, several different places. I get a lot of things from Sprayer Depot and we're not sponsored by them. We pay retail 99, just like everybody does. But I can sit down at my computer in my office, figure out what I need, order it and have it in about three days. Um, I've got a couple of booms. You know, most of your flat tip booms, uh, flat tip nozzles are going to be, the recommended height is to run 20 to 22 inches off the ground and be spaced 20 to 22 inches apart. So it takes a lot of nozzles um, and having them low to the ground to do what you want to do. One of my favorite is a flood jet turbojet nozzle from T-Jet. And they're designed to be run 40 inches apart and 40 inches off the ground. So I can take a, you know, each nozzle spraying 40 inches wide. Well, with two nozzles sprays 40 inches apart, I'm spraying 80 inches. So you can make one like the one I just made to spray 12 foot wide is on an 80 inch uh, boom, which barely sticks out past each side of my side by side. And I'm spraying 12 foot wide uh, to spray my fire lines, roads, trails, whatever I want to spray. And I can take a, a boom that folds up that's like uh, 15, 18 foot wide and spray over 20 foot. So I really like those and they, they really work well. And I know we've got somebody sitting there listening right now saying, well, you don't need to calibrate all that. Any nozzle you go by has the recommended, uh, has the, uh, the calibrations on there for the recommended pressures that you're spraying and the speed you wish to travel. Well, what happens in a lot of cases is the, the equipment that we're using here is not set up so that, you know, like with my 65 gallon sprayer, when I'm running my big fold up boom, I'm not showing any pressure on my gauge, but I do have plenty of pressure to run the nozzles. And, you know, I'm probably showing, I'm probably spraying at 30 or 40 PSI, but I don't know that because my gauge is showing nothing. And if I screw that in enough with a 12 volt pump that it'll build pressure, it surges. And the pump is cycled where to kick on and kick off, kick on and kick off, kick on and kick off. And it may jump up to 50 or 60 pounds. And then when the pump uh, kicks off, it drops. And then it pop back up and then drop. 
So it doesn't work right. That that spray system pressure doesn't work right a lot of times with a 12 volt pump. So it's best if we can just catch what's coming out of the nozzle, take five minutes worth of math, then we know for sure what we're putting out because we can't really rely on that gauge um, because we don't have a big PTO pump uh, or big hydraulic pump supplying these nozzles. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we often talk about equipment and equipment purchases, but the most used piece of equipment that I have is my sprayer. Yes. And if I had a choice, which I've, I've, I had choices and I, I do not want one on a tractor for, for what I do. Right. Um, tractor burns more fuel. It's harder to get around. It's bigger. Man, so, I can cover ground fast in and out. Get, I mean, I can just do so much off of an ATV or UTV. And uh, man, a side-by-side for me is the ticket with, with a sprayer. Absolutely. And when you build these other booms, so, you know, I like a spray tank, whether it's 25, 40, 65 gallon. I like my, my tank to be mounted to a frame and my pump tank and everything fastened to it and you know the brand of sprayers that you and I are using has two little receivers at the back they're like inch and a quarter square tubing and we can put a three-quarter inch pump pipe or a one inch piece of square tubing or whatever in there and it works like a receiver hitch on a pickup and we can build short booms boomless nozzles side booms stuff like that that clamps right on the framework of that tank that can slide in and out of the side by side or off the back of the four wheel. Now, when we get into big fold up booms, I like to use the receiver hitch on the actual machine itself where your, where your trailer hitch goes. And, you know, I can slide something in there and uh, build a bracket that comes up to support my boom. And I've got a boom that's uh, that, that folds up and folds up each side of the machine and, uh, you know, I'm pretty compact. I can get around good, but when I get to the an open spot I want to spray, I can just fold it out, kick on that valve for that water hose fitting. Um, got a little ball valve in there. I kick on that ball valve, get in it. I mounted a uh, a permanent switch on my dash uh, to keep from burning up wires. I spray so much. Most of these come with little 16 gauge wires to run these pumps. I wanted to run more power and not burn something up. So I put in a 50 amp fuse and I wanted to run 10 gauge wire. But when I went to the hardware store, I could buy a 50 foot extension cord that was 10 gauge cheaper than I could buy rolls of black and red 10 gauge wire. So I bought an extension cord, cut the end off of it, mounted one end to the batteries, routed the positive up to the dash and put in a switch and then tied them both back together and run them to the uh, bed of the side-by-side. Now I can just plug my sprayer in or my cedar in or whatever I need to plug in back there and operate it off a switch in the cap. And uh, and I haven't been melting wires or getting ends hot or blowing fuses or whatever. It's it's seems to be working a whole lot better now that I've got that system set up. And then especially, you know, I don't know how much I spray, but I spray and, and seed a lot. I could not, like you said, I could not do without my side-by-side. I'm managing close to 5,000 acres, and uh, I do a lot of spraying, 
a lot of prescribed fire and a lot of broadcast seating. And I do 90% of that off of my side to side. Well, I sure don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole on you, but you said something about broadcast seating and, um, you know, people think in order to do and, and no till everybody's on a no till kick right now. Yep. But people, which, you know, whatever, but <laughs> pe people think that if you're going to be a no till guy and you're going to change the world on your quarter acre food plot, which is, I just, whatever, uh, you know, and you're into all this soil health and microbiology, um, again, whatever, um, uh, that you have to have a, you know, a $25,000, $35,000 grain drill, and you don't. No, no, no. So anyways, that's a whole rabbit hole there. But uh, what else have we missed that people might really be interested on specific to sprayers? Man, that's about all I know of. I, I've been, you know, it's hard not to dive into a lot of herbicides that we use, but we'll cover that in the second part of this. But, uh, Man, I think that's about it. Just, you know, I probably, and I have volunteered on every habitat page to help people calibrate their sprayers. If you need help, shoot me a PM. Um, we have a sawdust and fire podcast, podcast Q&A um, Facebook page that yep. we will post a lot of uh, videos. I've already made some videos for some of this calibration. Um cleaning out tanks, winterizing tanks, um, this cord that I've used, I've already made videos for a lot of that back when I've done them. So we will post uh, some of that to our Sawdust and Fire Facebook page. We have also somewhat taken over the Land and Legacy uh, podcast Q&A page. And we're trying to help Adam and Matt out with that a little bit. So we're posting a lot of our content on there as well. So we will probably post in both places um, some examples of this and some videos that better explain it. Um, but, you know, a lot of people reach out to me for help on sprayer calibration. You can ask a question on either one of those groups or you can send me a PM or send Thomas a PM. Uh, we'd be happy to help you. I probably calibrated well in excess of 100 sprayers just last year alone for people and and the range that I saw was anywhere from two gallons per acre of output with a sprayer to 40 gallons per acre of output and anywhere in between. Everybody says, yeah, you might have, but the majority of them are going to all be about the same. No, the majority of them were probably between two gallons per acre and 28 gallons per acre. There might have been two or three that was over that 26 or 28 gallons per acre mark. But, you know, we just showed you here in our examples a while ago, the same sprayer with the same everything. When you switch from three miles an hour to six miles an hour, you go from putting out six gallons per acre to almost 13 gallons per acre. That's, that's pretty huge. You've more than doubled your gallons per acre of output by changing your speed three miles per hour with the exact same setup. Yep. Yeah, some of my favorite things on Facebook that just don't add up if people would think is, you know, I don't need to calibrate my sprayer. Any chemical is three to four ounces per gallon and just roll with it. My yep. habitat hasn't changed. 
and I'm going to improve soil health and add inches of topsoil in rocky ground by running a crimper. Uh, you know, don't like good sense, does it? Well, my Lord, in three to five years, you, you, you know, if you raise the elevation out there two feet by rolling that crimper around, I, I've got to come see this. Yeah. But anyways, you know, people, people get caught up on stuff. There's some really good salesmen out there and, and but some things just, just do not add up and there are ways to do things better, but man, uh, some of this stuff is, is nothing but snake oil. Right. And that's, you know, that's the thing about us here with sawdust and fire. And that's one of the things that I really liked about Landon Legacy over the years, uh, Adam and Matt. We ain't got nothing to sell. We don't benefit at all from you having big bucks or little bucks or lack of turkeys or more turkeys or getting to shoot quail or not. Um, we don't benefit at all from that. We just know what we've learned and we want to share that. And Beyond that, we ain't got a dog in this fight other than we just want to help you. So, you know, and, you know, there's some good salesmen out there, like you said a while ago, Tom, but I never have been one. I couldn't sell $5 bills for a dollar a piece, I don't think. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but, but anyway, this is, uh, this is all stuff that has helped us over the years. And, you know, it's stuff that we use every single day. And uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, we'll help you all we can. That's right. That is exactly right. And and come back for part two. We're going to discuss, you know, the different things we're putting in our tank and spraying. Sounds like a plan. All right. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, we'll see you all next week on Sawdust and Fire Podcast. Thank you.